Hello and welcome back to the Drop Step podcast. We're a few weeks into the NBA season, but we're changing it up today. I have not a USA guest, not a UK guest. I have a guest from Denmark, from the European scene. I've got Morten Stig Jensen coming on the podcast today. This is Mr. NBA in the Nordic lands. Morton writes for Sports Illustrated. He's done a podcast with Brian Toporek, who covers the 76ers for years now on the NBA. If you're not following him, you have to. He's just a great source of NBA knowledge in our scene. So Morton, I'm so happy to have you on, man. Are you excited to get into this today? I'm very excited. Thank you so much for an introduction that I totally did not deserve. I, I that you just kind of it, it's only downhill from here. I'm only going to disappoint. So people should know that right off the bat. Yes. Yeah. We're all about giving really good intros. I went on Topic Thunder um, a couple of weeks ago and I got an intro that absolutely humbled me. And since then, I thought <laughs> I've got to treat my guests better. So here we go. This is the start of that more. So today. Usually we're talking about the week-to-week NBA regular season grind. We could be tackling the in-season tournament, but we want to zoom out a little bit. For all of our European listeners out there, for all of our UK listeners out there, Moore is an advocate for growing the game across the globe. And today what we're going to do is we're going to get into how we can grow that game. I know if you're an NBA fan in the UK, if you're an NBA fan across Europe, across Africa, basically all those time zones that means that you have to sacrifice sleep to watch your favorite team. It can feel really difficult out there and you can feel like you're in a real niche when it comes to following the sport. But we want to get past that. And I think that I've got the man for the job in terms of discussing how we can do it. So I'm really excited about that today. So more without further ado, mm. why do we need to grow the game? in Europe and how are we going to do it? Well, right now, if we're looking through it uh, through the perspective of the NBA, now is the time to really go into marketing on a very uh, aggressive scale. I mean, we have the European players in the NBA, not just being present, but outright dominating. You can make a, a honest argument that the three best basketball players in the NBA are Europeans. You know, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic. Some will say Joel Embiid. And, you know, he just claimed U.S. citizenship and will play for Team USA. So I don't know where I stand on this, Joe. Like, you could have chosen France. That would have made it so much easier for my argument. Um, but, like, he's still up there as originally, at least, an international player with French ties. Then, obviously, you have Victor Pimpanyama, who's coming in as arguably the most hyped prospect of all time. You have multiple internationals coming to the scene over the next coming years as well. So I just think now is the time for the NBA because they hold the biggest sway in terms of basketball to get in on the ground floor in Europe particularly and say, all right, how can we help leverage all these talents into creating more basketball interest from young players for or for that matter for you know adults to just want to watch the game grow maybe i mean there are so many avenues to this not just getting kids into the gym although that is tremendously important it's also about just having more people turn on nba games and watching them and growing that interest um because what we have to do jack is we also have to face facts basketball is the second largest sport in the world after football Notice I said football and not soccer there because I'm so happy to actually speak with someone right now who does not say 
soccer. I hate that word. It should be banned, and I'm against it. Um, and, and it's us that are you know behind the eight ball here. It's Europeans are behind the eight ball on this. This is our issue. This is our problem. We do not embrace the second largest sport in the world. And we need to because it's one, it's a great sport. Two, it's a great way to actually create camaraderie. It it helps with teamwork. It helps with so many fundamentals. You can use it later in life. Um, it's not a sport that is particularly gruesome in terms of like concussions. If we're talking about like the American football, for example, like, yeah, you can have some injuries, of course, but it isn't to the extent where it's it, it can be hurtful to you later in, in your career or life. So I, I just think it's very close to the perfect sport. Um, and I want the NBA to really just go hardcore on the marketing aspect and to expand the game as much as possible using the current crop of international players in the NBA as leverage to do that. I think on the topic of it being a sort of really accessible sport, you'll know this from a European front in Europe when we say winter sports we actually just go out into the outside we get muddy it's windy it's cold so in the uk during the winter months we're playing football we're playing rugby i think they have it right over there in the usa let's go indoors let's go to a gym let's put some shots up let's not create a load of washing basically but just in (laughs) terms of growing that european game i don't think there's anywhere better to start you definitely touched on it in your intro more on the influx of European talent. Joel has betrayed us. Obviously, he would have been Cameroonian. He would have been French. But I think spiritually, we still look at him as an international player. It's going to be really weird watching the Olympics next year. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to boo him a little bit just for for going Team USA. I'm I'm going to, or I'm going to get media credentials. I'm going to go down there, look him straight in the eye and go, Joe, dude, what the hell, man? Come on. Sidebar, sidebar. The USA were not short of center talent. We're seeing Chet Holmgren rip it up in his first year in the NBA. Anthony Davis has committed to playing. It's not like they didn't have anyone at the five. I don't think Bam Adebayo (laughs) has ever been less valued. But I think the way to start this is, like you said, European players. And we actually are. We're getting more games on European turf now. So in January of 2024, the Cleveland Cavaliers come to Paris and they face off against the Brooklyn Nets in the only European NBA game this year. Ticket prices are extortionate, but, you know, tried to get in, not quite got the facilities for that at the moment. I think, is there a better way to start than really trying to get these stars back on their home turf, facing off in interesting matchups? You know, once a year, can we have Nikola Jokic head over to Belgrade, head over to Serbia? Can we have Luka Doncic head back to Slovenia? Can we have, do you know, I wanted to say Paolo Bancaro go to Italy, but I don't (laughs) think that would go down well these days. But I think we've got a real opportunity to take the game on tour and give European NBA fans and European basketball fans, because there is a real rich culture there, the chance to experience the NBA live. I very much agree. Um, I have a fairly close relationship with the league, and this is a point that I hammer home to them every chance that I get. We need to get not just more games on European soil. We also need to get the right games. So let's take 
last season as an example for the Paris game. Yeah. That was the Bulls and Pistons. Um, I went there with media credentials. And while the NBA media atmosphere there was tremendous, like you had so many people present to cover that game, you know, the, the, the marquee name being presented was Killian Hayes because he's French. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to sit here and hate on a player because those ties are important. And, and I think that was definitely something that was interesting. But I could also very, I could sense on the crowd, even the Frenchmen there, like they weren't that enthralled with, with Killian Hayes, for example. Like Victor Wembanyama showed up and like sat courtside. And when he sat down, he got the loudest applause of anyone in the entire arena. So mm-hmm. you have to make sure you're, you're bringing the right teams. And I, I understand that NBA teams also have a say in this. Like a lot of them don't want to travel. They don't want to do the yearly games, but this is still a business that you're still trying to reach out to the masses. And I'll give you an example of something. Uh, a friend of mine, he recently pointed this out. Like on, on Sunday, no, November 12th, there are three early games to, to just see from, uh, from European perspectives. None of them have, you know, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, or Victor Wembanyama. Those three, they play at 1 a.m. my time, which would be midnight for you. Why yep. weren't they featured in the early games instead? Why didn't you take those three games and slot them early for the European masses? That's such a wasted opportunity, um, as I see it and as my friend pointed out, also saw it. Um, and I understand that there are scheduling issues and that you have to get, make things level up and like everything has to be aligned. However, if you want to keep growing the game of basketball, which the NBA certainly have every intention to do, mm-hmm. you also need to make, or rather you have to realize Europeans are going to look at a calendar like that on November 12th and go, what? How does this make sense? Like, wh- why am I, why am sure I sit here and watch three games that are less attracted to me and less relevant to me than the three late games that starts you know, at 1 a.m. or or midnight for, for you. I mean, so that's one of those situations where the NPA probably has to sit down and figure out, okay, how can we actually make the swap like that so these European uh, fans get the right games, not just an early random game, but the right games. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely down to mixing in that USA talent. Like we said, Brooklyn faces off against Cleveland in the European game this year. Yeah. I Forgive me, I can't think of any sort of notable European names on either of those rosters for the moment. So it's going to be a strictly all USA affair, which I think is is fine. At least we're getting what will probably be a competitive game this year. But in terms of the TV scheduling, you can see people making it a ritual if it's I mm-hmm. follow the Mavericks because I'm a Luka fan. I follow the Nuggets because yes. I'm a Jokic fan. You can definitely, I, I can sell it to my partner. Do you know what? I'm going to stay up till 10, 11 p.m. tonight because Giannis is playing, because Luka right. is playing, because, you know, whoever, whatever European star we want to talk about is playing. And I think as well as getting the interest in the European stars and marketing them properly, we have a real opportunity for the first time in NBA history to have a competitive America versus the world game in the all-star break. Yes. Yes. We've spoken about how terrible 
the All-Star game was last year. It seems to be sort of revitalized by the Elam ending coming in a couple of years ago. There was a little bit of excitement, but we finally have this opportunity now to market it as it's USA versus the world. And guess what? You will get all the European fan base tune into that because there is just that you're almost tapping into that sort of football fandom sense of sensibility. It's that Mm -hmm. us versus them. And if you get Europe versus the world, guess what? You're going to get people, sorry, if you get USA versus the world, you're going to get people noticing the USA players as well. And I think it's vital for the league just in general that we start to establish Jason Tatum as a star of this league. We start to establish Devin Booker as a star, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, for example, as KD ages out, as LeBron ages out, as Steph, you know, retires to greener pastures, mm. whatever. We need to establish those USA greats as well. And I think there's no better opportunity to really put them in the spotlight than having that USA versus world game. You're sort of killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. And Shea would actually be on the international team because he he's, would. I was thinking yeah. maybe you might have to have like USA and Canada, North America versus North the world, America. But- Actually, see, that's interesting because then if you let, – let's say you actually did it like right and then you had Shea mm-hmm. on the international team. I wonder if the NBA would be fearful that the Americans would just lose because let's be honest here. If you include Canada in the international team with mm. you know, Embiid, who you can – well, he can probably choose what, whichever direction he want to go. But with against Luka, Jokic, Giannis, Wemby – I, I mean, they stand a pretty good chance of losing that game. So maybe it's also one of those concerns that the NBA have. Like, oh, if 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 the international players win that game, does that make you know American exceptionalism a little bit less attractive for the masses? Like, there there might be some considerations about that. But I agree with you from a fan perspective, from an engagement perspective, from an interest level perspective. They should absolutely lean into something like that. Um, and and on, honestly, like we've talked so much, or the league has talked so much about also being involved in Europe. I can't help but think preseason games seem sort of pointless, especially when it's mm-hmm. just like teams flying around in the US meeting up with each other. Like, why not use NBA preseason as some sort of tournament against European teams? Like, we see every single year that NBA teams meet up with, like, French teams or Israeli teams or what have you, right? Why not actually make some sort of tournament that includes teams from over here, maybe a handful of NBA teams that are selected or, you know, raises their hands and say, we actually want to participate. Um, And then you make a short little preseason league. It shouldn't be more than two weeks or something like that. And at the end of it, some team lifts a trophy and you can clap and like, it all has to happen on European soil. Then you have like at least something you can market for people here to come actually watch the NBA for a prolonged time, you know, it's a week period, as opposed to just like the one Paris game that you can't even get into because prices are the way that they are. Yeah. Uh, my, my fiance is Lithuanian. So I know more about Jalgaris than, you know, most people on the planet outside of Lithuania. And I know that basically they are, an embodiment of those really passionate domestic fan bases. And if you gave them a chance to view the quality of the NBA up close and personal in the home stadiums, then suddenly 
you're unlocking a really, really passionate sect of basketball yes. fandom that you probably don't have access to. I I was on holiday in Barcelona earlier this year and I had 30 people walk past me in Jalgaris shirts because they were playing each other in the EuroLeague. So there's definitely, there is that level of commitment. If you're willing to fly to another country to go and see your team play away, my guess is if we really engage these fans and I'm using them as an example, you can get the Lithuanian population to stay up and watch Jonas Valanciunas on the Pelicans, or you can mm. get them to watch the Manta Sabonis on the Kings. It's just about, it's about giving domestic fans a reason to really put the work in because it is difficult overcoming that scheduling yeah. issue. I also think Lithuanians specifically would travel to see just European players. Like, it, let's mm-hmm. say that uh, I let, let's say I, ha- I have a bucket list thing in my life. I want to convince the NBA to one day play a game here in in Denmark, for example. I know for damn sure that if one of those teams playing would be the Mavericks and Lucas there, Lithuanians are going to fly up and and like go to Denmark to watch that game because you know that that's the national sport in Lithuania which is great like they yeah. they like their academies they are create and i say this in the most positive sense they're creating little basketball robots everyone knows how to dribble pass shoot by you know, the age of 3 weeks old practically so they just they get it from a very early age they appreciate quality basketball and that they are willing to travel so I, I would have no issues believing that stadiums would be filled up. Like, And if the NBA were like, hmm, are we sure? Yes, you should be sure. Absolutely. The NBA brand, if you bring it to Europe, stadiums will be filled to the brim. That's not going to be an issue. I can vouch for you on the little basketball robots. It's really embarrassing losing a one-on-one game to your fiance on the open court, sort of uh, near her gym. That that's something that I haven't lived down for quite a while. But yes, they are innately skilled uh, in a way that UK players are not. But I I think that we're really sort of tapping into something here where there's that domestic fandom that. The stadiums are going to be filled. I think that we've got proof positive of that with the success that the NFL has had coming to London. Yes. Uh, The NFL plays, I think, three to four games a year in London, and it is a proper event, whether you're playing at Wembley Stadium, whether you're playing at Tottenham's new stadium. It's it's been a massive success and people buy in. If you bring that fanfare, I think the, the nature of sort of European sporting fandom is so different from the USA that the halftime show is an attraction in itself, right? The the amount of buzz, the music. Yeah. My my dad, for example, when he watches the NBA, he's like, do they seriously play songs through the entire game? Do we seriously have all these little sound effects <laughs> going on? And just that sort of culture shock. I think that's, it's just an entertainment. Yes. It's, it's, it's an opportunity for entertainment in itself. Take the basketball away. It's an experience that people should have. I, I very much agree, and and I have a similar experience with my my father. He brought me to a Chicago Bulls game back in two thousand and four. I want to say two thousand four, two thousand no two thousand four, and mm-hmm. like, he is the least sports person you'll ever meet. Like he just does not care about sports whatsoever. But even he was like entertained. He was actually fearful that he would have to sit there for three hours and like practically fall asleep. But he told me afterwards, like, there's something going on all the time. Like, they they keep stimulating, like, my mind in some way, in some capacity. I was like, yeah, that's why I get hooked. Like, there, something happens all the time. Like, you, you're just, you're never really bored. 
Um, and also, to your point about the NFL, I think it's fair to say that basketball in Europe is more popular than American football as well. So yeah. I, I think that, too, is a great example of why if the league have any doubts about, oh, like not filling up a stadium, they should go away immediately. I think you could play a, a game in like rural Sweden and you would still have people driving in to, to watch that. It, it, that. That's where you need to have a level of trust in your brand and understand what you've done over so many years. Like with David Stern back in like the 80s already saying, look, this game has to grow global. Like it has to be a global thing. Um, and we're also seeing like this, they're going to have the, the Mexico game um, here in a couple of days, I believe. And that's like the 32nd time that they have that as well. It's that type of devotion that they need to also have to, to particularly to Europe. We're seeing that with the Paris games, but maybe they should also expand it to more countries. Again, we're, we're coming back to the issue, though, of NBA teams probably saying, no, thank you. We want to yeah. keep our, our regular time slot and we don't want to travel and we don't want to do this, this and that. But that's where you just have to make some compromises and some sacrifices. And this is where the league might have to remind both players and executives and, and coaches, look at your paychecks. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe there's a reason that you're earning that type of money. And maybe if you do this, there'll actually be even more of that coming in. So make that sacrifice, go to Europe. I mean, just show off the game, show off your talents and reap the benefits down the line. Yeah, so a couple of things. Chicago Bulls 2004, pretty bleak season. I've I've just done a little bit of uh, basketball reference homework. You might have got to see Ben Gordon in his rookie year. Where no, was, like, the, no, 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 no. It was it was 2003, 2004 ah. season, the year before. Like this was Tyson Chandler, young, young yeah. Tyson Chandler, young Eddie Curry. Like I think Rick Brunson was was playing that right. game it was very very bad but look like the bulls overall that's a hopeless franchise like that's a, an entirely different episode so uh, i i was young and dumb but i did i did see the pacers with with reggie and and uh a fairly young jermaine o'neal so i had that at the very least one of my all-time favorite players ron artest as well on that yes. Pacers team unless he'd already been banned for the malice at the palace incident I, I i don't know we can't quite go back to then so that was one thought well done for sticking with the balls in that scenario but my second is everyone spoke about when the draft lottery happened that Victor mm. Wembanyama has fallen into the perfect situation you know there's this lovely synergy with greg popovich taking on generational number one picks big <laughs> and tim duncan and david robinson is there a man in the league that wants to travel to europe less that wants to do anything to promote the game less than greg popovich in terms of i coach my basketball team i don't want to let any media talk to you go away that that might be a slight <laughs> issue <laughs> well see i i'm actually going to push back a little bit on that so he was made available for international media the other day and he was extremely gracious with his his responses and like he took the time to actually talk to international media i think he has an appreciation of international media more so than us based media that always goes for 
you know, the, the big non-stories, as I call it. Um, yeah. And that's not to criticize, you know, American journalists per se. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think, honestly, it's it's the editors. It's like the main bosses that needs to be criticized because they always tell their journalists, like, go get us this juicy bit. Whereas over here, we actually ask questions that, that has to do with basketball. And I think he has an appreciation for that. I also think he has appreci- the appreciation for the culture, the food, especially the wine. Um, yes. So I don't think he's going to be the biggest hurdle, honestly. I think, and, and with Wemby now over there, I'm pretty sure that the league is also pushing for for the Spurs to to play in the 2025 Paris Games, for example. I would be honestly, I would be shocked if the Spurs aren't involved in 2025, and I would be disappointed. So um, let's hope that's the case. I think it's more so, you know, coaches and organizations that aren't spending a lot of time abroad who are a little bit more hesitant to do these things. Maybe smaller scale franchises who are like, "Mm, now we kind of have a foothold here. We may not have a particularly strong brand overseas. So what's the point? But that is the point to actually increase that knowledge of that team. I mean, uh, let's take the Orlando Magic, for example. Like, I would say that's a team, like they're going to the Mexico game here in a couple of days. They, they would greatly benefit from having a bigger presence in Europe because that's not a team that I see many fans of over here. So mm-hmm. it would be in their best interest to maybe say, okay, let's make a concerted effort over the next five years to get as many European games as possible to expand our brand. That means more money. That means more merchandise sales. That means more people flying to Orlando to watch games, which only helps our bottom line. So it's it's you have to have this omnipresence and understanding of where the money comes from and how to get even more of it. Absolutely. Let's lean into France. I mean, winning the FIBA World Cup, there's a perfect opportunity there. I actually met up with... Um, I met up with someone that was very high up at 2K once upon a time uh, of German descent. And he said that his favorite player ever was Detlef Shrimp. And he uh, he sort of got into the league through them. Used to be a Seattle Supersonics fan. So there there are these international fans that get into the league because you have that singular one guy. And they will build up a connection to a team that is thousands of miles away that they may never travel to see. You know, not everyone heads to Orlando to go and watch Paolo and Franz, but maybe they're tuning in. Maybe they're repping the baseball cap or something along those lines. There are opportunities there. And I think if we're really trying to take the game global, there's a massive opportunity to have the 2024 Olympics as the launching point for that. Because it seems like we've got the Avengers going on the USA side and they're going to be absolutely unstoppable. But you've also got Wemby on home turf. You've got a competitive Germany team as well. Spain always gives a really good account of themselves in international play. We've spoken about Lithuania. Hopefully, you know, Jokic is going to play for Serbia, Luka for Slovenia. These guys are really passionate about it. And I think that hopefully... People haven't booked all their time off in NBA circles because the uh, playoffs are going to be finished because there is a huge opportunity to market the game when the Olympics roll around. I very much agree with that assessment. I really do. I think the NBA also wants to be a little bit more in control. So like they want to be 
they want to be willing to first and foremost piggyback off of that exposure for the Olympics. But I also think they want to build it up themselves. Like I, I think they want people to have a very high opinion of their international talents going into next season, like before the Olympics, even like they want to finish on a high note. And that's why I keep banging this drum that now is really the time to go all in, because if you can create a buzz leading up into the Olympics and then the Olympics takes it over the top, that only benefits the NBA even more when you then start the 24, 25 season. So uh, I totally agree on that. Like just having, so many players headlining most teams. It's just unfortunate, really, just from a competitive standpoint. We're talking about Jokic, Giannis, Luka, that none of those guys play for the same national team because I agree Mm. that it seems like the U.S. is going to have the upper hand, and that's because it's basically, I don't want to say a one-man show because there are very, very good European players that should be in the league who aren't in the league playing for those national teams. But yep. the talent disparity is pretty is pretty huge, so that's why I'm really annoyed at Joel Embiid for not teaming up with Wemby. Like, I that would have been fun for France. I mean, at least you would have two superstars basically headlining that against the U.S. and and they're big players as well, and that fits very well with FIBA rules. That would have been a competitive mm-hmm. game. So so yeah, I'm, we're we're gonna need to have a couple more superstars from each European country just to make it a little bit more interesting. It would have been really good for France, but spare a thought. I think that the luckiest man in the league has been the best defensive player in the league this year. Rudy Gobert mm. must have been celebrating the hell out of Joel Embiid's decision to declare for the <laughs> USA. Could you imagine that? You've been the face of France basketball for 10 years. You are this yeah. FIBA monster. And then suddenly I'm being replaced by an alien at the power forward and the MVP at the five. Um at least Rudy will get his dues coming home. That is true. That is yes. true. And the defense, like the interior defense between him and Wimpy is going to be outrageous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we've probably covered bringing the game physically to Europe yes. and all the appeal with that. But more, I know that we spoke before we jumped on the podcast about the opportunities the NBA can give guys like us on the European yes. scene in terms of how we can grow the game and how we can grow, you know, fan networks and access different markets and basically do their work for them. So I really, I'm really interested to hear the ideas that you have that could make my life a little easier and (laughs) make the NBA's uh, life a little easier too. Yes. So I think the NBA should lean in more to like the blockosphere because you have a lot of people who write articles about the Mm -hmm. NBA, whether it's over here, whether it's in the U S but I particularly want the NBA to focus on people who cover the, the league in their respective countries. So that means like, for example, I used to own Denmark's largest basketball site, fullcourt.dk and like let if I, I I turned down the option of like keeping to own it because I basically realized there isn't money in it. We had to reuse the same nine-year-old picture of Giannis Antetokounmpo from his second division in Greece, and <laughs> because images are incredibly expensive, I've, I'm not gonna like name the, the 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 image service that I reached out to to ask for for prices, but I was told that. You know, it's roughly a thousand pounds for a three-month license of one picture. 
and then I have to remove it again after those three months, and I can only use it in one article. I can't use it repeatedly, and mm-hmm. and like that's just that's you're you're handcuffing those content creators to an extent where they can't put the product on the front page that they want to. They have to go out and find these ridiculous alternative pathways to get just images on articles. Like I I know someone who was basically toying with the idea of saying, okay, look, I'm just going to draw it. But that like, and I was asking him like, okay, so how long does it take you to draw a picture? And he was like, two hours, like two hours for an image. That's, you can't sustain that and then write and then podcast. And do, you can't. You just it, That's an impossible thing. And so I think the NBA should basically set up some sort of content partnership program um, with people over here that you can apply to where and that does, that's if you're a blocker, that's if you're a podcaster, that's if you're a video producer, just an overall NBA content creator that you can get access to like official NBA image licensing. You can get commercial partnership portals because the NBA had so many commercial partnerships going on that if they could share those connections and to like blogs or podcasts and whatnot all around Europe, then there's a chance at least that the people creating this content can earn some money off it, like it's some sort of compensation level for it, which in turn would keep that blog alive and do, as you said, the league's job for them in the sense that they would actually cover the NBA without the NBA being directly involved. And like mm-hmm. being an NBA partner is a blue check mark at this point. I mean, if I started a Danish basketball site and I was able to have a little officially NBA partnered logo on there and I could use images like official NBA licensing images and I could use you know video content whatever I am absolutely certain that people would look at that and consume that content at a much higher rate than if I have mm-hmm. to scrape by and the page looks like let's be honest shite so yes. That's important. It's important to actually consider presentation and it's important to understand both from the league and also from for consumers that content creators like us here in Europe, we have spent years struggling to create a product um, that is that looks attractive. And in order to do so, we have to go through official channels. I, I don't subscribe to the idea of people just ripping content because I, I, I don't think that's a good pathway. I don't think it's a good way to keep a good relationship with the league. And I want to do that. I would never want to jump over where the fence is at the lowest. I want to make sure I do things on the up and up. And that's why I, I, I want the NBA to create some sort of program that helps bloggers, podcasters, video guys, whatever, just to get the necessary content in that helps them enrich what they're pro- they're giving out to the public. Absolutely. And we sort of spoke a little bit earlier about Greg Popovich not necessarily being the happiest with USA media coverage of his team trying to go for blood, get that you know scoop. The NBA would have a fantastic opportunity in this scenario to really curate a really thoughtful coverage of the league and really shape it a little bit more. Because yes. while I'm sure that they have sway with ESPN and TNT, they're the ones that are paying the money at the end of these days so they can sort of choose where they go and if adam silver for example I, you know i can't think of the the delegate who'd actually be in charge of this if adam silver reaches out to the head of sport at tnt and goes 
Could you just go a little bit easier on Anthony Davis in the post game? Can we not have Shaq digging him out because he only scored, you know, 20 points? TNT are respectfully going to go, yes, but that's what our listeners and our viewers want to hear. Mm -hmm. The NBA in this scenario would have a real opportunity to reward the people that are doing really, really thoughtful coverage. Yes. reward the people that have you know are really knowledgeable about the game and i think there's probably a growing concern with the tiktok generation that the league is going to be reduced completely to 30 second highlight clips to mm-hmm. oh lamello dropped this guy yesterday and then hit a step back three if you try and foster that that environment that i know that I would like, and I think that you would probably like more as well, of really sort of rewarding those people that know a lot about the game. And suddenly you get this real sort of intelligent fan base forming in in the European circles. And you get to a stage where I can market the Indiana Pacers to the European market because they have the highest offensive rating in the league this year. They run incredible half-court sets. They might not have European players, but God, do I want to tune in to watch Tyrese Halliburton play. If you teach people to notice what's going on on the court, if you if people know what they're seeing, then they'll tune in mm. for the love of the X's and O's. They'll tune in for the niche players that they've come to love. And I think that the NBA would have a real opportunity in your scenario, just sort of curating their own content network, but just giving people the opportunity to do the thing that they love. Absolutely. And you nailed it. That's exactly what I think they should be going for. Uh, I realized with my own audience in Denmark that they were extremely hungry for things that were extremely complicated, honestly. Like the salary cap was one of the major things that that I I always got so many questions about the salary cap. Like, how does this work? Why is there this trade restriction on this guy? Like, why can't you package guys in a trade just after they've been traded? Like, why can't you do this, this, and that? And I realized pretty early on that I had to lean into that curiosity. I had to lean into that hunger. So I started covering the game from a more subjective angle where uh, or not subjective but instead of just going oh team x beat team y and blah 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 i decided to go into analysis like basically saying okay you guys want to know about the salary cap like hit me up with your questions let's see what we got and then Mm -hmm. i started talking about that and now i'm here 15 years later and those people who started asking those initial questions, you know, 15 years ago, they're now answering them. So like, if I get questions on Facebook or, or on Twitter, or whatever, like those guys who I, I, you know, I gave answers to 15 years ago, they're now coming in. Oh, I'll, I, I'll take this one. That's because you have this, this thing called the trade restriction, blah, 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 blah. And like, it's, Okay, great. Like, it, you can sense that they jump from one place to another, and because of that, the discourse is just fantastic. Like I, I'm really extremely proud of my fellow countrymen when it comes to like NBA coverage. Like, sure, you have some people who are just trying to ruin a good thing by being mean and whatnot, but it's like it's the smallest, smallest, smallest percentage. The vast majority of people over here are hungry for you know a deeper analysis like things that go a little bit lower than just the surface level and i think that is so enriching because you sit there and you kind of feel okay because i never catered to the lowest common denominator i'm actually seeing more and more people start to realize 
that there's another way to gauge basketball coverage. There's another way to actually ask for better coverage. Uh, they're not satisfied with just you know simplistic analysis. They if if you provide simplistic analysis, they'll call you out. They'll say, you know what, that's pretty bad. You could do better. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's the way it should be. It, you shouldn't peddle insane BS to to the masses. What you should do is give them some of the most complex stuff because they will figure it out. You have to have trust in your humanity and that trust has to pay off because if you keep approaching it from a perspective of I'm going to help you understand this, then that favor is going to go down. That's going to have that ripple effect. And before you know it, you have some of the best discourse in the world. So I very, very much agree with your assessment. Uh, I want to go a little bit off piste here and do a little self plug because I have an episode of the drop step coming up that I think is going to appeal to that intelligentsia. I've got Eric Pincus of Sports Business Classroom coming on. Uh, I, I messaged him after he came up with a five team trade scenario for James Harden that I read and just mm -hmm. thought, yes, this is chef's kiss. This is perfect. Eric Pincus is coming on to do the art of the fake trade with the drop step. And I'm really nice. excited about that. So if you have any questions on salary cap restrictions on bird rights because i know that as a, as a fan that learned about the league only fairly recently in the grand scheme of things getting to understand early bird rights and extension rules and things like that it's a little bit of a labyrinth so it's always good to have that coverage out there that we've sort of spoken about and more i'm sure you did a fantastic job educating that sort of denmark-based basketball fandom just on on how to really study the game and how to understand the game and then enjoy it even more but if anyone wants to tune in to me and eric pincus I, i'm really excited for that episode i think that's going to be a great one so more we've sort of spoken about how rich the nba content land can be from a european perspective yes. if we just get that little bit of help from the nba I love the idea of the image rights and sort of giving people access to content. Anything else up there that you just think this would have helped me so much when I was starting out or something that you want to see come in? Um, I want to see something come in, but I think I've, I've covered what I would have wanted to, you know, as, as help for myself, just basically having those commercial partnerships as well as the image rights would have gone a long way because not earning money off the work that you do when you're putting you know, 20 hours into it every week, that is just not sustainable in the long run. So I think you need to to somehow find a way to earn an income uh, on this. And if the NPA can help with that, all the better. I do have one idea. Um, and that's also something I pitched to the NBA. I, I haven't really heard back about it. I think they're like, what are you talking about, you crazy, crazy person? However, yeah, stay with me on it. this one. Stay okay. with me on this one. So, you know, you saw like what Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond and James May did for Car Enthusiast via Top Gear and um, what was that later show? The the Grand Tour. Yes, like, obviously, they have tremendous mass appeal. But there's there isn't anyone saying that you can't find three people who can't do the same for the, for basketball, really. Now, granted, those three are middle-aged lunatics, <laughs> so that's that's one thing that you can't really dig into. But you can find three people, three Europeans particularly from different countries, that have a lot of knowledge about the game, who will who should commentate games like on a separate audio feed, 
um, on League Pass, for example. But you also you also uh, enhance their reach by giving them studio segments. You give them podcasts. You give them columns. Like you actually take three Europeans and you give them full time salaries. They work for the league full time as content providers, as commentators, as writers, podcasters, whatever. And you just basically tell these guys to develop a, a relationship in between themselves and to go nuts on their platform just go nuts i mean if you have a hot take in a studio segment just unleash it and then the two others will eviscerate you for having that hot take of course the league would have to also distance themselves from when those three people are criticized in certain aspects then they'll just have a disclaimer before the program or whatever but i think that would be more in tune to how we are as europeans for example like mm-hmm. we do not like the the lacy analysis and i'm going to bring up a name here my apologies i know he's among the league's partners but kendrick perkins analysis for example i that is not what we're looking for here in europe we're we're looking for informed content we're looking for informed opinions and and i know that because us europeans we weave our lives around the nba if we're nba fans we adjust our lives to uh, maximize our nba enjoyment that means maybe waking up earlier to catch a game because because you just know I can't wait until evening because I'll I have to avoid social media the entire day, and that means that I, I I'll have to the game will be spoiled. Maybe I get a text message from a friend who said, "Oh my God, did you see that buzzer beater last night's game?" You just go, "Ah," <laughs> so like we have to weave ourselves through this NBA world because of the time zone difference, and getting people in who've covered the NBA in Europe over you know a handful of years maybe even decades who understands the sacrifice that the average european makes to to actually enjoy this league they would be they would be able to talk to the audience in a way that american you know commentators just do not understand plus i think it's entirely fair to also argue that Europeans are not wired as Americans. <clears throat> I excuse me. I like I I use the term American exceptionalism before. That is not an ideology that Europeans buy into, right? I mean, it's not a way that the, that we think. We think we're probably a little bit more of a pessimistic people. We like to have more transparency in our media coverage, be that sport, politics, whatever. So if you get people who understand that. And have them create content on behalf of the NBA to European consumers. I think that would be a slam dunk because they speak your language. They speak your culture. They're able to say stuff in a way that makes Europeans more inclined to go see. Now, that's what I'm looking for. Because if you keep presenting us over here with Kendrick Perkins, for example, we're not going to respond to that. Like, mm-hmm. we need something that is more us, more, you know, European in the sense of analysis, where it isn't lazy, where it isn't, you know, looking at the lowest common denominator and going, oh, how many clicks can we get on this one? No, it has to be entertaining, of course, but it has to be informative. It has to be something you can use. And so I would love to see the NBA go out and find their version of Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May, and basically say, okay, let's create something around three wacky personalities who Mm -hmm. knows what they're talking about and who can cater to a lot of different people here in Europe. 
and like I said, they had to come from different countries as well. It, it couldn't, it shouldn't just be, you know, three Lithuanians or three Spaniards. Like it has to be three people from from different countries, different regions uh, at least, and then see what happens. It it would be a worthwhile gamble, I think, especially if you allowed yourself, if the league allowed itself to say, okay, we're going to invest in this for a period of three years to see if it really turns to dividends um, because you need time. Like you yeah. can't just say, okay, one season and that's it. No, you need time. Give them a three-year chance uh, and and see how that spurns interest in Europe. I would have a pretty good feeling about that. Yeah, so more. I will fly over to Copenhagen tomorrow. And guys and girls listening to the podcast, we are taking applications for the third member <laughs> of the NBA European Top Gear coverage style show. Uh, it's going to be me and more, and one of you lucky viewers. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. We're going to have a way. I would love it, Jack. We'll start I would love interviews. it. Absolutely, absolutely. But aside from that, yeah, more. I think you brought up just a wealth of really good points there because. There's a thin line to straddle. I think part of the enjoyment that I've derived from really getting into the NBA is also experiencing that American culture and yes. getting a feel for the media. I think there is a lot of good media out there that I enjoy. And yes, the league at, at the heart of it is American. So you certainly wouldn't want to lose that. But having something personalized, I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility because We've seen this year the NBA has done great work with like the NBA strategy stream on League Pass, where they've yes. got the likes of Nate Duncan to come on from Dunked On with Danny LaRue. They've done commentary on games. I know that uh, Ben Taylor at Thinking Basketball is partnered with the league, produces yep. some yep. really thoughtful content. JJ Nikias Reddick. Duncan. That's also yes. Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones, yep. too. Great follows. Like, but but yep. that's the thing. That's what they need to lean into. You're absolutely right. Yep. Just European angle as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, JJ Reddick is on the inside. He commentates on games for ESPN and then yeah. his old man in the three podcast, I think strikes a really nice balance in between sort of giving you that player insight, but also getting down to being really analytical. And it's great to see that they've partnered with Nikias and Steve and, you know, they're producing some excellent content this year, but it's really not out of the realms of possibility. I think that it's just a shame that the league is having to look outside for this coverage that we want to see and yes the idea that they could really be a part of something and really produce something for that european fan base would be fantastic and you don't need to put in 5 10 15 years of work covering it for free right. in order for them to somehow notice you so that is absolutely something that i think the league should explore um i i'm i'm just thinking so we've sort of got the american culture we've got that analytical view of the game and we've mm -hmm. got our top gear style segment how how is uh the nba consumed in denmark what is it really accessible on tv do you have to pay a subscription to a sports channel or does everyone yes. watch on league pass yeah so it, it's a, it's a combination some people use league pass others use uh tv2 where they who holds the, the the rights and you have to buy a subscription to get uh, access to those channels uh tv2 has multiple uh channels mm -hmm. so uh you, you you have to uh yeah purchase uh i don't remember the price off the top of my head but you need to purchase a, a package to get access to it so it's not like it's readily available on flow television on some of the largest free channels for example like it is behind paywalls um 
and, and and you know that's also an interesting aspect of this because I'm I'm actually considering something else here as well hmm. because league pass we've seen that they give up that give out like these uh, one month or one week free trials for example how about you actually get one I, I'm just this is just me free flowing I hope you don't mind. How about when you buy like an NPA jersey, right? Like if you go to an NPA store or the NPA EU store or whatever, and you order a jersey, when that jersey arrives, there's a code for a one-month league pass trial, free trial. Yep. Now, if you don't, if you have, if you don't have league pass uh, ahead of time, yeah, you can use that, and then maybe you get hooked on watching that. But if you do have league pass, then you can give that code to a friend he or she will get hooked as well because that they will that, that's a full month of NBA basketball and they'll start consuming it and they'll realize, oh, this slaps. This is great. This is fantastic. Yeah. And then, you know, you get the ball rolling that way. So League Pass, I think, is, is a major, major advantage for the league that they need to lean into maybe a little bit more in terms of like just the marketing angle of it. Like I'm not seeing League Pass uh advertisement here in Denmark for example I I but well you know what I am seeing I'm seeing commercials for NBA 2K I'm seeing that on in like the subway stations I'm seeing that on the buses why not leak pass I would love to see leak pass ads in like the public space I yeah. I can't imagine they would be particularly expensive and if you are the NBA and you're selling this stuff you can also have all the images that you want. You can make those ads look really attractive. You can make those ads look amazing. And if you have them on bus stops, if you have them on buses, you have them in the subway, especially like in downtown Copenhagen, I think that would turn dividends. And you can then apply that uh, that that concept or that the marketing strategy to other nations as well. So uh, that would be something I would look into because I do think there is, you know, a a a separator between watching Lee Pass and then watching no normal in-country coverage. And sometimes you feel, oh, this is better. This suits my needs. This doesn't suit my needs. And But the ultimate challenge in this is that you always have to look for it. Like the NBA doesn't come to you and say, hey, we have this. If you're a young person, let's say 15, 16 years old, you want to watch the NBA. You yourself have to look into how do I actually end up there? How do I get to that place where I can turn on the television or turn on Chromecast or Apple TV or, EV or what have you and watch the NBA? That that doesn't seem like it's a straightforward path. So if the NBA made more of a marketing effort and also telling people about their League Pass product and how easy it is, I can't see how that would hurt them. Let me put it that way. It's one of the best assets that the NBA has because you get access to all these domestic broadcasts as well. And from a European point of view, our the way we consume sport, like a lot of other countries, is we follow a team, right? Let's say you're a Damian Lillard fan and suddenly you know, you've been saddled with the Portland Trailblazers, you've stuck with them through thick and thin, and suddenly they have three nationally televised games in your country this year. You're going to struggle to consume that. But through yes. League Pass, you can consume as you would football as you would basically any domestic sport that you like it's a real asset to the league and i know that they've partnered with 2k before and i think they've given out like free month subscriptions to league pass if you buy 2k but a full year yeah. a full year no, actually no, a month oh really a full year yep yep i i bought that? it for my son um 
that was uh, I, he he just got his first league pass um mm-hmm. subscription and that was part of the 2k that was the largest pack i think i think that's a brilliant partnership as well where yeah. you know you you get a game and you get a full full season of league pass like i i why why aren't that on billboards why isn't that on you know every bus in in european cities in the weeks leading up to the season like I, that's a great package and it's pretty inexpensive too i, I sound like i'm peddling for the nba here all right guys look at our products like but, yeah, but I, it's true. as a consumer i think the the price was extremely affordable it was like maybe 120 pounds Plus, you get a game that I know my son has already played like at least a hundred hours of, and yeah. you get a League Pass subscription where you can watch to your heart's content for a hundred and twenty yeah. quid for a full year. I mean, Which I think I think League Pass is one hundred and forty pounds over in the UK. So, bang, you're already in profit. Already there, yes. It makes yes. a lot of sense. Yeah. So I think that yeah, advocating people watching League, League Pass over in Europe is is a massive thing. I was going to say in the UK, uh, TNT Sports is now the company that shows uh, nationally televised games in the UK. And there's part of that where you obviously get Chuck, Shaq, Ernie and Kenny before the game and at halftime. And that's fantastic. That's part of the product. But I think it comes back to what we're speaking about with our Top Gear style idea where I want to consume the American culture. I might have got into the league at first because i've seen you know shack talking on twitter or something along those lines right. but it's about having that point where you can choose and you can go i love having the american stuff mm. but it'd be great if we could feel like we own this a little bit as well right yes exactly and i think you can make it optional that's that's the great part I, mm. obviously you can't do that this on flow tv but on league pass they have they have these separate audio feeds. So let's yeah. say you went the Top Gear route. If you don't want to listen to three European maniacs, that's fine. You can switch off and listen to, you know, the audio feeds from the US or wherever, right? But just giving you that optionality of saying, you know what? I actually do want to listen to these three idiots. That'd be great. I, I It just provides you with more options and i don't think more options especially for people who as i've mentioned a hundred times already use their lives to weave through the nba coverage i think that i think most of those people would appreciate having more options i think those people would appreciate having more control of their nba experience um and also it just to be completely transparent about this I think you and i can also agree that sometimes watching nba games and listening to american announcers there's a little bit of xenophobia sneaking in once in a while, and that can get pretty tiring. You know, the whole, well, Europeans are soft. Like, hmm, are they really? Because last I checked, 10 of the, the 11 best rebounders in the NBA were outside, you know, were not Americans over the past couple of years. Like, uh, that doesn't scream soft to me. Uh, well, it does, but not from the European side, to be completely frank. But, like, those comments makes you kind of like, oh, why? Like, and and that's where I think Europeans particularly would enjoy a different set of announcers that understand where they're coming from, who can also appreciate the European angle without hyping it up to like unreal uh, levels. Because I think we're pretty grounded over here. Like again, we're yeah. a skeptical people on this continent. So if Lukev like complains to the ref, 
you absolutely know that whoever is commenting those games here from the European side, they will call it out and go, gosh darn it, Luca. Or they probably would not use those particular words, but they will <laughs> they will Luca, stop. Just stop. This isn't helping yeah. your development. Like they will go at him because that's what we do over here. I mean, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't even be afraid of coverage just being biased. We, we would just be very transparent. And I think that's what the, the league needs to really capture uh European audience. I think we've stumbled upon the fundamental question an hour into this podcast, and it's why don't commentators say gosh darn it anymore? We're really right. missing out as NBA fans. <laughs> Um, I was trying to be polite because you can't. Yeah, I know. The league would have a problem if you said, "God damn it!" Right? Like they would, they would <laughs> yeah. be on you Blasphemy. in point Zeus. Yeah, right. But, but like <laughs> you can absolutely get away with saying something and just like my point is, we wouldn't be sitting there just hailing Luca if he's like nine of twenty-four shooting, right? Like we wouldn't yeah. do that. We would just be, we would be tearing him apart because we have greater expectations and because that is how Europeans operate. Like we. We are very, very critical when players don't perform, and then we're celebratory when they do perform. So I think we have an an, an ability to find a balance, uh, especially among European players, that, uh, that is more fair, that is more interesting, that is more engaging. So yeah, that's my pitch to the NBA. Get, get a top-gear trio in there for NBA purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's really good the nature of how we've done this podcast. We've probably hit on the key themes that the NBA needs to access. So what we first spoke about is showing perhaps, you know, these non-basketball diehards in the European field that the NBA is something that you want to consume right up there with football, right up there with the NFL, any other sport. It's as entertaining as any other sport on the planet. So that could be done by bringing games to Europe more frequently, bringing games to countries that love basketball, like Lithuania, like Spain, like, you know, pick a place. There are basketball sickos out there everywhere. So I think that's step one. And then step two, we mentioned the Olympics and having that real sort of global leap off point. I think that's a massive point where we can really start to go in a new direction. Um, Step three is just making it easier to access that sort of American culture, the league at large, the NBA in general, with things like League Pass, how we're showing the games on TV. And then step four, it's like if you hit all those three steps, then step four, you can really start to see the European NBA culture emerge on a mainstream level, not just on blogs that we all sort of scour through and love or niche podcasts, but there are people just as devoted to covering the NBA and there are people just as knowledgeable covering the NBA on the other side of the pond. And I think that, you know, the league is missing an opportunity and not embracing that. Yeah. I I would even argue there's an even more committed um, audience here and, and, and also people who can just, yeah, provide that content because again, Americans have it a little bit easy, you know. They can sit back home at at seven o'clock and at night and flip the game on while they're having dinner, for example, right? We can't do exactly. that. So, so the commitment to the NBA, I actually feel, is larger over here because we have to jump through so many hoops just to get to the actual product. And because of that, I I feel as though we are just way more invested honestly in in the nba so i i can't imagine it would be a bad thing to lean into that no 
more closing statements. I think that we've covered such a wide range of topics here, and I'm really glad that we're going to be putting this out there for some of my listeners, because I know that I've got people from the UK that will really sympathize listening to this. But if you're a USA listener and you've stuck around, I hope that you've really enjoyed this conversation. And I hope that you've got to understand that little bit more about how we experience the game as Europeans and how there's just all that opportunity out there, because it's not just from a European point of view, enjoying the game, but I think bringing that European mentality over to the USA at points could be really beneficial as well. And that's when we know that the game will truly have globalized. Absolutely. Fully agreed. Nice. Mort, thank you so much for coming on today, man. I know that you are one of the busiest people on the NBA scene. You have one of the most disrupted sleep schedules on the NBA (laughs) scene. (laughs) What's up next for you, man? I know that you record with Brian. Is it every week? Is it um, twice a week? Yeah, so we aim for twice a week. Sometimes it's one a week. We have what we call just an inflexible schedule. I mean, we we do like emergency podcasts as well. So sometimes there'll be three like podcasts a week. It's yeah. uh, but but what we want to make sure is we at least just publish on the on a regular basis. We're up to I think next episode is six hundred and fifty for for we've done this since twenty sixteen. So regular, yeah. Uh, I think it's six six hundred and fifty episodes next time. So if you go to the NBA podcast and you subscribe, even if there isn't something out in five or six days, something new out, don't worry, we'll get to it. And we usually record for about ninety minutes. I suggest that you uh, turn up the the speed on your podcast to like yeah. one point five or something like that, because then you get through it a little bit quicker. But we have a grand old time. Like he and I are, are dear, dear friends. He's visited me in Denmark. I visited him in Baltimore. Uh, so there are a lot of internal jokes. So stick around. Like you'll get them. You'll you'll catch on pretty quickly. There are a lot of internal stuff because we've been going at it since 2016. Uh, but I also think that's part of the allure of building up an, a, a relationship with the listeners who understand where we're coming from. So uh, go check that if you uh, are into, yeah, weird NBA podcasting. Absolutely. More is the best. All of his links are going to be in the description down below. And from 650 episodes on his side to, I believe this is the 17th or 18th episode on the drop step side. I'm really happy to have added Morton Stig Jensen to our illustrious list of guests. I hope I can have him back later on in the season and we can talk about all the incredible European hoops that has been going on. But that is episode 17 or 18 of the drop step you guys will know better than me you can go and count up on the spotify feed thank you so much for listening and tune in next week for another great episode